Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. Fantasy football teams have been torn up. Zoria have had their annual European disaster and Everton are looking to sack another manager. Yes, football is well and truly back. Welcome to Ukraine Plus Football, the home of Ukrainian football in English language. I'm your host, as always, Adam from Ukrafot24. It's been a busy midweek for all of us here and my excellent co-host Andrew is here with a roundup of all the action. Andrew. Hope you're well. Over to you, mate. Yes, I am, Adam. Sadly, it was a mixed bag last week. Uh, I'm sure we all remember. Dinamo playing quite well, made it through to the Champions League playoffs. Um, a probably unconvincing victory in added time uh, against Sturmgratz. It took another red card for them to get it over the line properly. But we saw the return to, I guess, to some of the best football from Viktor Tsihankov that we've been missing for a, a good few months, maybe a year and a half, you could say. Uh, he was the game changer in the end and he sent them through to play Benfica this week and next. As for Zoria, though, well, <laughs> we'll probably get onto that in a bit more detail in a bit, but a uh, bit of a shambolic showing against uh, Universitata Krajava. Completely sort of no turn up, um, completely forgot how to play football on the most part, how to defend. Three quite basic errors, unforced errors, um, and some of the better players being caught up in some of those mistakes too, including Nazarena. Uh, who obviously has been linked to Shakhtar and Dinamo in recent weeks. So not the best, but we still have three Ukrainian teams left in Europe and they're all guaranteed group stage football. So which competition that will be is still undecided for two of them, but we should know a bit more um, within the next week and a half. Yeah, we certainly will. It's going to be a great couple of weeks ahead. I as always, with us as well, Ray, good evening. I hope you've been keeping well, mate. Uh, now, let's be honest, over the last couple of weeks, you've been saying, Dinamo, no, no, it's time for them to say goodbye to the Champions League. So I take it you're quite surprised they've made the playoff game. I mean, what do you think has been causing it? Players looking for moves and are finally showing their, their true potential or something else? And... Well, whilst we're talking about it, uh, do you see them getting past Benfica? Hello, Adam. Hello, guys. Great to be back. Uh, well, that's true. I mean, it's a late goodbye, and it's it's always like that. It's never too late to say it. Uh, Benfica was the test for Dinamo Kiev last uh, year with Champions League. They almost won it at home game. Remember the nil-nil with the uh, goal uh, cancelled in the end? But, uh, of course, it's um, a true uh, derby between Yarmchuk and uh, Kiev side. And in terms of the game with uh, Sturm, yeah, we had some appearance from the youngsters like Vucharenko. He scored a decisive. But still, I doubt he's going to make it into the um, main team in, in the end. Uh, it's, it's usually Dynamo like that. I mean, it's this um, typical approach from Luchescu when you have to just uh, stand the last man standing, you know, and with Benfica, um, I, I'm not sure if it's going to work. Uh, it doesn't have to work eventually because they are already in the uh, group stage of uh, some other tournament, not Champions League. But still, if uh, it, unless they really need the money, they're going to fight for it. But again, I'm not sure they will. The previous... Um, Matches show that it's quite a template for Dinamo in this in this uh, season with Fenerbahce and in with Sturm. It's quite the same. 
So with Benfica, we're pretty much going to enjoy it, of course, because every Ukrainian club, European match this season, even Zoria's ones, which we are going to cover today, are enjoyable for us because we, um, we have a display of something. So yeah, it's a match to be looking forward to and it's a match which will be remembered for sure. No matter the result. Well said. And Andrew, what's your take on the game coming up? Any hope from your side? If we compare to how Benfica have been playing in their own uh, qualifying matches, uh, they came in against, obviously, Midgeland, completely demolished them in both legs, 4-1, 3-1. Got wins, convincing ones in the Liga Portugal, which has started, so that's two games in as well. So you could probably say in a competitive, they've got a slight competitive edge over Dinamo, just, you know, from that rhythm of playing fairly regular uh, competitive games in a short space of time, whereas Dinamo's obviously in recent weeks has had a weak gap in between all their games. On top of that, they look to be pretty potent in attack, like very dangerous. They're scoring for fun. And yeah, Adam Chuk's not even playing uh, for the most part, coming on as a sub. Um, you know, contributing here and there, but not being anywhere near as influential as the likes of, you know, the, the guy called Fernandez, Gonsalves. They've got a lot of young firepower in there. And I don't know whether Dinamo's midfield and defensive unit at the moment will be able to deal with that because we saw um, them being quite susceptible to certain attacks from Fenerbahce and from Sturm, just probably the quality wasn't there uh, for either of those opponents to fully cap off um, a Dinamo that was relatively unimpressive going forward until until the opposition went down to 10 men. That's when Dinamo started uh, <laughs> looking up, looking a bit more. So, you know, if Benfica somehow uh, get a man sent off, it could be looking up. But personally, I don't see Dinamo getting past Benfica um, on paper. And from what we've seen of recently, uh, obviously, uh, for whatever reason, Luchescu likes to stick with Besedin, who's been very ineffective in all of these games so far. Ivanat looks a bit better, but probably still something lacking there for the potent goal force that Luchescu doesn't want to start him. And I don't know why. Uh, maybe he might start him this week. But regardless, it seems... It's, it seems um, correct that Dinamo are the underdogs and I think it will work out better. I think we've already mentioned this in a couple of pods before that if Dinamo make it to the Europa League, they're going to be getting more points um, for the coefficient, which is something that is essential at the moment, especially with the state that Ukrainian football is in due to, um, due to the war. And you see the other teams and countries that are around us in the coefficient table, Norway, they're currently above us. And they, I think they've got all of their uh, participants still left in Europe. Um, Austria as well, playing quite well. Serbia's lurking in and around. You've got uh, Tervena Zvezda, who look to be getting to the Champions League. But that's sort of irrelevant because, you know, from what I see, Dinamo aren't going to be strengthening really before the window closes. They're going to be getting completely battered by top-class teams in the reality of things. So it might be better just to be playing against slightly more uh, competitive opponents in the Europa League. It won't be easy there either because of the new format and how they've actually got quite high level sides in there too. But on the whole, there should be better chances of at least maybe battling for second place to make it to the knockout rounds. So my prediction, uh, you know, based on the two legs, I think Dynamo will exit. Uh, but, you know, the Europa League group stages is actually a positive rather than a negative. You know, I agree with that point about the, the Europa League. Looking at the coefficient table, presently Ukraine's in 14th spot in the table. Uh, just natural progression and the natural right of things will see us go above the fascists pretty soon. Uh, so, but... We're in the position now where we lose our third qualifying entrant in the Conference League 
and that entrant would have to enter in the second round at 23-24 season. But if we get back up to 13 or 12, then the, the third round entrant will return. If we drop a couple more spots in the coefficient, then it's uh, then the, the the fifth entrant will will stop. And Hazoria and Vorskler even as departing the competition in the first round, the the money they get from that will still be of a benefit at this stage. So it is a huge importance to keep five Ukrainian teams entering into European football for the foreseeable future. Um, as I said, mentioned Zoria departed there. Andrew, you spoke about the fact there's some real defensive howlers and just the lack of anything offensively. Was it just one of those days where everything went wrong for Zoria, in your opinion? Or is this a sign of maybe darker, bigger problems for the club going forward? It's a bit of a paradox because uh, anyone who watched the first leg would have been quite convinced of how Zoria played. They just had so many chances that they probably should have scored uh, and didn't pounce on them. And obviously, you know, taking a 1-0 lead when there's no away goals or anything like that was always going to be a, a difficult time. So the thing about it is, I don't know, it, they just fell apart. They, that, that was it, I could say. Um, one of those typical performances that we've seen from Zoria in recent years. Uh, just when they, you know, completely just don't show up. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the, probably the lack of quality in the squad, you could say, on the most part. They're nowhere near as obviously as sharp as Dinamo Shakhtar and they don't have that consistency. And we see it in the UPL as well, often. Yes, they'll finish fourth or fifth, but they'll end up getting some random loss result to someone in the bottom half of the table. And you're like, how's that happened? And this was another one of those performances, although Universitata Krajaval were very good. And I mean, they're obviously the European contenders for a reason uh, from last season. And the one thing I think that they were lacking um, was that they were playing that Nachnoini up top, who someone was saying that they saw him playing a centre-back uh, last season or something like that. And, you know, playing him up front, and the fact that Nazari Rusin, who has recently signed for Zoria, and he was very good there when he was a player uh, on loan a few years ago, he would have been a massive uh, benefit and help. However, he wasn't uh, involved just yet. And then he scored four goals against a lower league Polish side on the weekend in a friendly. So I think that sort of shows what they were missing from that regard. But also, you know, you could just say, you just point it out, it's, it's, sort of typical of a, a Zoria slash Vorskla. There's not much to explain. There's probably not much to get too hung up about on the most part. They'll probably put in a good shift in the league, but on a European basis, it's um, completely unpredictable and inconsistent. So I guess the only thing that we could worry about is that with no European football for Zoria, and the fact that they were only in for this one qualifying round, I don't know, they're going to get like 150k or something from that or something relatively small compared to the two, three million euros that they might get from being in the group stages. How is that going to impact, you know, someone like Van Leeuwen, who obviously must be on some decent money to be coming to manage in Ukraine as a foreigner, uh, in inverted commas, even though he has got a history in Ukraine. On top of that, um what you know the question is is will they be getting paid on time obviously i think Yevhen heller said that the team are stable for this season they will certainly you know they'll be getting paid etc but we know the history of that every every year we're hearing you know we hear until someone doesn't get paid until december until the european money comes in or whatever but i mean if there's no european money how long can they continue to survive for uh, obviously, this season will probably be more expensive than usual because they're not just in Zaporizhia where their permanent base is. They'll be somewhere else where they'll be having to rent or pay uh, money for hotels and all that kind of stuff. It, it's it's going to be concerning, to be honest, for someone like Zoria, who have been one of those sides that I guess have been ticking on. They've been doing great recruitment and selling people on here and there, but the kind of transfers that they're rumoured with today in terms of outgoings this season is 
you know, to Zori, uh, to Dinamo and Shakhtar. And, you know, you don't see much money coming in because I think the Heller is quite good friends with Sorkis. I don't know how much compensation will be paid here and there for the likes of Nazarena, who maybe might move to Shakhtar. Uh, likewise with um, Kabayev, who might move to Dinamo. But, you know, a week on from that exit in Europe and they're still at, at their original clubs. I know we still got two weeks till the window closes and they may very well move on and leave and leave an even bigger hole in the Zoria team. But uh, only time will tell. Right, mate. Do you agree with him? Yeah, 100%, guys, because uh, I have to get it out there, you know, the global question, what do we have this team for? I mean, obviously, there are a tradition of fans, a huge base of fans with, uh, well, the, uh, the diehard fans, right? The Zoria has them, has the bases. But it's really different from what we see throughout the last two years. I mean, remember 2020 when they could have gotten that silverware with Desna game and they just didn't go for it. Same as they didn't alongside the following two years. And that's what we see now, the outcome of it. Obviously it's not ran by the um, their general director, which we all know. Uh, it's ran by the uh, agents who provide players and the most of, and most of them are from Dynamo uh, loan uh, side from the second team of Dynamo uh, or, or part of them. They are a, um, hangout or a, like a safe place for most of talented Ukrainian players. Like you hear about uh, Pitkivka, the, the um, former Karpatic goalkeeper is now training with them. Okay, that's a good thing. But in the grand scheme of things, like Andrew likes to say, uh, it is just a place to hang out eventually. And uh, it's upsetting for the fans. Uh, like they deserved that silverware back in 2020. And now it's all, you know, an outcome of it. It's a ringing bell ever since then. Like I, I we all witnessed that. We started our podcast <laughs> from, from that very moment, from when Zoria <laughs> lost their silverware. And now we're talking about their uh, perspective in terms of the season. Like, yeah, they're going to make a difference in the league, just like Vorskla but it's not going to be anywhere higher than the third spot. And Nipro 1, I mean, that's another topic, right? But with the, within those two teams, Zori and Nipro 1, we might as well put an equal sign, right? So it's um, even in those times, like now, it is a disgrace to Ukrainian football. There are not no other words than that. It's upsetting and it's it shouldn't, well, you know, you know it's, it's, it has to be like that. There is there should be a team which should which which would show that kind of performance, and there's nothing can do about that. We will see what Dnipro One has in store for us. And now we're going to move on to Dnipro One, who are also in Europe this week, and they're going to have their UPL season slightly delayed because of the two-legged Europa League playoff. They enter the tournament at this stage, and they're going to be playing against Cypriot side AK Larnaca. And we've got a very close friend of the podcast. He's never been on, but he's got a lot of involvement in the past of a lot of people will know and heard of Shoot the Defence, where Ukrafoot24 podcast was hosted um, for the first year. And it's a pleasure to finally um, welcome Stel Stiliano, founder of Shoot the Defence, um, co-host of No Trofters podcast on ammonia um the team that he supports and i guess for my loves, sins, and, for my loves sins, and hates <laughs> <laughs> how are you still uh pleasure I'm to have good, you mate. on i'm inviting me man it's a pleasure talking to you again had you on the, the podcast a few days ago so yeah you know we're doing more yeah. stuff together again bro, back <laughs> like the old days <laughs> love it well this season it seems that ukrainian football has got a quite close connection to cypriot football We've had it over the past few years, I know Paphos, but there wasn't really too much to talk about there in terms of the level of players that went over and that kind of stuff. We'll touch on um, Amonia's new signing in a bit, but I think we'll start with, I guess, AK Larnaca. So mm -hmm. for anyone who hasn't been following their plight in Europe so far this season, they started in the Champions League. Uh, they were knocked out by Midtjylland and they, I think they drew both games one all and then they lost on pens. 
So then they dropped down into the Europa League and they beat Partizan Belgrade. Uh, what was it? Uh, four, I forget. four, three. I forget. Four, three I forget. They beat them on aggregate, <laughs> and it sort of saved, I think, a possible ugly fixture matchup between some between a Serbian side, Partizan, and the Ukrainian club in the current mm-hmm. uh, political context. So thank God for that. Um, but I don't think it's going to be easy for Dnipro One, who haven't played a competitive match since December 2021. So this is their first of the season. What are the thoughts in Cyprus? going into this game, are people confident, I guess, on how AK Arnica might do? I know that whoever loses this game, they're going into the Conference League group stages anyway. So it's sort of a a win-win scenario, regardless of how it goes. But um, is everyone looking forward to it? Are they thinking they could get something out of this one? Well, the thing is, mate, Ayek, Larnaca, they're a very small team. They, they're not one of the big hitters. Um, they were founded in 94. They don't have thousands upon thousands of fans. The, the, the three main teams in Cyprus are Omonia, Abuel, and Anorthosi. They're the three teams. And majority of Cypriot clubs have been founded as a result of political uh, conflicts, I'd say, or political reasons. Let's just put it that way, you know. Ayek are the, they're probably the only original team from Larnaca. There's another two teams that play in Lanaka. Um, there's Anorthosi and Nea Salamina, but they are originally from the north of Cyprus, which is Turkish occupied. So they came down as refugees and they've got their own stadiums there. But Ayek Lanaka are the main team, if you want to call them the originals, so to speak, even though they were founded in, in, in um, 1994. Uh, yeah, 1994. 1994, yeah, blimey. Lucky. So, yeah, in all fairness, they are a team that no one really expects to challenge for titles, to challenge for cups. But the past couple of seasons, there's been a lot of changes, both at the top yeah, in terms of uh, technical director. They've got Xavi Roca in, who was at Panathinaikos in, in Greece. He actually used to play for Barcelona back in the day. He played for Espanyol and all these other Spanish clubs, but he's, he's done well as a technical director. Uh, but they've had several managerial changes, um, Andrew. And the thing is, in Cyprus, it's not new to for, for clubs to go through three or four managers or head coaches a season. Um, the the, the labour turnover, even when it comes to staff, playing staff, is incredible. But this summer, I think Ayak have gone a different route. Last summer, there was a lot of changes. They brought in the likes of Matt Derbyshire, who used to play for Blackburn Rovers. He was actually actually at Omonia, and then he went to MacArthur in Australia, and then he came back to Cyprus to, to go to Ayek. They made a lot of signings. as a, a fellow who's, um, who's actually at Stoke, Sim Tandy, uh, went from Leicester's Academy and then Stoke, if I'm not mistaken. He's at right back. Um, but they made some interesting signings. They brought in Gus Ledes, who's a very good midfielder, Portuguese, uh, Rosales, uh, I think he's Venezuelan, fullback. So they made a lot of interesting signings last summer. And for me, the, the most interesting element of Ayak last season was the fact that they promoted their under-19 head coach, Gadala, to, to be their head coach. There's his first job as a head coach. He was coaching the, the youth, but they, they promoted him to the, the first team. And they thought, right, we're going to start with this guy, give him the opportunities. And for the first, I don't know, four or five months of the season, Andrew... They were in with a shout of winning the title. They they ran Abolon very, very close. But as happens in Cyprus, all it takes is one or two bad results and then the cracks start forming. And what happened was in Cyprus, they play the 22 league games and then the league splits in half. The top six teams or the top eight teams, as it's going to be next season, they're going to be in a, in a playoff. And going into the playoffs, Ayek had a good chance of, of possibly winning the title. But they lost and they lost and they lost. And then Gadala went. He was gone. And what did they do? They brought in Bandia, who was head coach of a team called Ethnigos that were at the bottom of the table. Another Spaniard, right, to be their head coach. And yeah, he got a couple of results. But from a team that was challenging for the title, they almost slipped out of the European qualification spots. But somehow... They got it over the line and incredibly they went 
and ended up second in the table when the, the title challenge was between Abolon and Abuel. They, they snuck in because Abuel just threw it away. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been a crazy season for them. Um, but, yeah, to get to get that Champions League qualification experience is great. To beat Partizan Belgrade, was a, it was an incredible feat for a, for a Cypriot club. I mean, you're talking about to, to beat Partizan is, is a big deal. Um, but, yeah, it all change again in the managerial realm. Um, Bandia was sacked after losing the two-legged semi-final against the team that he left to join Aek, Ethnigos, who got relegated. Um, and they brought in a, a new fella, uh, Oltra, another Spaniard, believe it or not. And he's got a two-year contract, Andrew. He's got a two-year contract. So let's see how long he lasts. Stability. But, um, Stability. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But they, they haven't gone aggressive in the transfer window this summer. They, they made a few interesting signings. They've signed a Casas, the right-back from Malaga, if I'm not mistaken. Piric, the goalkeeper, came in from a Turkish club. Um, Rafa Lopez from Legia Warsaw. Um, Bruno Gama, of course, from Aris, the Portuguese winger. Um, so they're, they're really taking things more serious than they did last season, let's put it that way. Even though they, they did take things serious, apart from the managerial changes, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, just from listening to that, okay, there is a bit of a mess going on towards the second end of last season. Obviously, the season in Cyprus starts officially this weekend, right? Uh, um, match day one, or is it the week after? We? I think but, it's the week after, actually. But you haven't started yet, essentially. So they, the no. only sort of competitive matches they've had have been in, obviously, the Champions League the so European, far. Yeah. And the Europa League, of course. So it will be interesting just to see, similarly, Dnipro 1 are in a, a situation where they've got a brand new manager this mm. summer. He's only come in a few weeks ago because former manager Ihor Jovicevic has gone to Shakhtar. There was a big controversy over him leaving because he said he'd stay on. Uh, and then apparently there was a break in his contract of like a plus one. And... He's at Shakhtar now. So they've brought yeah. in, in rather controversial terms, they've brought in uh, Alexander Kutcher, who was former Shakhtar centre-back, but his only real coaching experience has been uh, the new reborn uh, Phoenix club FC Metalist Harkiv. And he's obviously only been in uh, the third tier and in the second tier. And this will obviously be his first experience of our UPL side and obviously in European football as well as a manager. So that's going to be interesting. They've brought in five uh, South American players. I think on the pretense that uh, they're going to be based in either Slovenia or Slovakia. And as a result, they'll be coming into like the very Southwest of Ukraine for home games. So it shouldn't be too problematic for those players to you know come in and out and then still be based outside of Ukraine for safety purposes. But yeah, so it's currently unpredictable. They've still got the player, I guess, of, well, the star man in the team, Artem Dovbik. He's been linked with Salonatana in literally the, the day that we're talking about this. Apparently close to a deal there, but I still think he'll play this week um, if he's not moved on by Thursday evening. Um Alexander Pichalionok, who's impressed for Ukraine um, this year since making his debut there as well. So they've got they've got a decent squad. And they've also brought in Metalist's vice president, who's come in as sporting director, officially this week, but it's been rumoured for months. So all of that in total, it's um, it's a complicated uh, venture. Dnipro won one of the most hated teams in Ukraine because it's a bit of a fake club where it's... Like an MK Dons. Essentially, but in the same city and the same stadium, whereas um, <laughs> Wimbledon sort of folded, you could say Dnipro, Dnipro folded and then Dnipro 1 was reborn out of them, but by the sort of same owner who allowed the uh, former club to just close because of loads of unpaid debts to people like Juan de Ramos, who used to be the Wow. manager back in the early 2010s so it's crazy and now the well, the new owner is uh you could say a secret owner he's de facto it's alleged that he's the owner but he's apparently the same one he's bankrolling it all and yeah they're apparently going to give it a shot for the title this season based on some of the transfers they've been bringing in mm. not well-known brazilians a lot of them have come over. I think three of them have come over from Brazil themselves. One's come over from like the Saudi league. 
and a couple of Argentinians in there too. Nothing that's probably going to, that someone like Shakhtar would attract, but no one seems obviously of the higher level. No one wants to go there at the moment, regardless of them being based in Warsaw or whatever. So yeah, I think it'll be an interesting match. Um, I don't know what your initial thoughts are, what like people in Cyprus think how the match will go. Uh, but from our perspective in Ukraine, we'd hope that from the investment that Dnipro have done and sort of the ambition they're showing in inverted commas, they probably want to make the group stages. But either way, we're going to have a club in the Conference League um, if they lose anyway. So it's not too problematic from that perspective. And they may even mm. pick up more points coefficient wise, uh, which are desperately needed for Ukraine at the moment if they drop down there. Right. But the thing is in Cyprus, and I don't mean to denigrate the, the press by any stretch of the imagination, but um, they don't really go in depth when it comes to European opponents. This isn't me trying to, to denigrate them in any, in any way, but they don't really delve into uh, a European opponents unless they're a, they're a bigger club. Like for example, Omonia, uh, we're playing against tomorrow. And you look at all the websites and, yeah, the past couple of weeks they've been reporting on against results and the odd injury here and there, but they won't talk about tactics. They won't talk about, you know, the, the club's history. You're doing probably more work for AEC than the... I'm, I'm being serious. You're probably doing more work for AEC, you know, <laughs> than, the, than the, the press in Cyprus. So I think you've got to remember, again, AEC aren't really a big club. Yes, Ajax are in uh, European football and it's great for separate football, but we've got Omonia in, the, in Europe, we've got uh, Abolon, we've got Aboel, Aris were in it at the beginning, but they got knocked out. Uh, and Aris are probably the most financially stable club in Cyprus because of their, their foreign backing, uh, same with FC Buffos. So, yeah, they're not going to really look into Dnipro too much. Yeah, they'll probably report on any results or anything. But as you said, because they haven't played any football, there's nothing really to report. So they're basically going in blind, uh, in all fairness. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. But And so are we. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's good. But just touching on that, um, I yeah. think perfect time to move on to Amonia. You mentioned they're playing Ghent, the former yeah. club of Roman Bezos. Yep. Yeah. Uh, somehow in football, this always happens. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether it's on purpose. It's one of those weird things. But he's up against his former club. He was mm. on the bench in the Super Cup that you guys lost. That's why, luckily, Roma Bezos did make his debut in that. And he was named on the bench, which I was slightly surprised about on the mm. basis that he literally just arrived and has not played any pre-season football, I guess, yeah. for the whole summer. But it must mean that he is at least ready to come on if some sort of emergency was going to happen. Uh, so maybe we might see him uh, in the Conference League this week or next. And then obviously when the league starts in a couple of weeks time as well. But what's the general feeling about him coming in? Because obviously I came onto your pod just before yeah. it was officially signed. We didn't know if it was actually going to happen. What's been the reaction since he's come and what are the expectations from him? Well, in all fairness, mate, the, the signing came right left field, right left field, right out of left field, so to speak. A lot of the transfer activity that Omonia have been doing since the new administration came in three or four years ago has been very hush-hush. Um, in Cyprus, everyone knows each other in some way, shape or form. It's such a small place and stories get leaked. And what the club tend to do now is that they have kind of identified where the, the moles are and they've either got rid of them or they've gagged them. They've literally come out of the blue. We, our first signing was a player called Bruno who joined from uh, Sheriff. Didn't really expect that to happen because I know we were chasing him for a couple of summers, but nothing really happened. Our next signing was Matthews, who's a fullback from uh, Charlton, who played under Lennon at Celtic, which kind of made sense. The next signing was Nemanja Milicic, a central defender from Partizan Belgrade. Again, that came out of left field for some, but I kind of knew the deal was on the cards because I knew the people involved in it. Um, <laughs> say no more. Um, and finally, um, Bezos, again, another transfer which no one expected. And the thing is, mate, what people tend to do 
they go on Transfermarkt and they look at all the free agents and they make assumptions. We've been linked to Ben Arfa. We've been linked to Scott Sinclair. We've been linked to this one and that one. And all of a sudden, this name comes out of the blue. To be fair, a lot of fans kind of believed that that was the end of our summer spending. I only say spending because they've all really been free transfers. And the concerning thing for us is we finished seventh last season. We won the cup, albeit on penalties against a team that got relegated and six or seven of our players had left. Jordi Gomez had gone, Botiak had gone, Shepovic had gone, Asante went, uh, Huberchan left, Shehu left. So you're looking at six or seven players that we needed replacing and we brought in four, but yet we were still saying, even if we kept those players and brought in those four players, it still wouldn't have made the difference to the squad because we, we, we needed reinforcements. So signing Bezos is obviously pleased a lot of uh, supporters. He's a number 10, which is what we've been crying out for for three or four seasons, mate. Um, so for him to even come off the bench and to be one of our best players, be it, albeit <laughs> not having any preseason or anything, I don't know that speaks volumes about the lack of quality in the squad or does it just mean that he's raring to go? I don't know, but in all fairness, mate, he's got the credentials. He's played at a higher level than the Cypriot League. From what I understand, the performance level hasn't dipped. And if he comes good, then we'll have a chance of at least getting back into the top six or qualifying for Europe next season. But again, it's all ifs and buts with this club because today we had another story about our, our teenage sensation who has been banished to the under-19s. Chances are he'll never play for the club again. And there's a dispute going on and on and on between him, his parents, the club, uh, his agent, foreign clubs. It's just a bloody mess. It's a circus and it never ends. It never ends with this club, honestly. It's only one thing, it's another. Sounds a bit like Ukrainian football, but all a bit more, I don't know, concentrated uh, in Cyprus, where it just seems um, a bit crazy. Uh, I'm hoping there'll be less of that kind of stuff in Ukraine this this season with the war, mm. but already we've seen some controversies with the, with the broadcast rights, where some clubs don't want to be involved in the solo package deal and all this kind of stuff. So plenty of that to come, uh, I'm sure. But thanks for coming on, Stel. Uh, brilliant insight. And I'm sure we're going to have you on throughout the season for updates on Bezos and how things are going with him because we we do love uh, we do love him, to be honest. He's an underrated player. Um, getting on a bit, of course, in terms of it, he's in his 30s now. But, you know, who knows? If he puts in some performances out in Cyprus, he could even get a callback for well, Ukraine. We'll see. To be honest, in Cyprus, don't get me wrong, the level has increased in terms of ability. The, the sports science is there now. They're really taking things serious. But you can have a 35, 36-year-old doing really well. I mean, take Ayek, for example. One of the best players is uh, Ivan Triskovsky, uh, a Macedonian striker. And he bangs goals left, right and centre. He's 35, you know. Uh, last season, he was one of the le leading goal scorers. So the the age i don't think the age matters if the player has got the ability to do it matt Derbyshire, again sc yeah. scoring goals left right and center for for ayak last season before he was uh, banished to the, the reserves for a, a fallout with gadala um and as irony works gadala is now the abolon head coach <laughs> who won the league last season because they they sacked their manager zonic after being knocked out of the uh, the champions league qualifier they haven't even played a game this season in the league, but they sacked him. He wins them their first title in, what, 16 years? And they sack him. It doesn't make Mental. any sense. It doesn't Mental. make any sense. But, you know, listen, it's going to be... I, I think because of the, the lack of preparation Dnipro have, that gives Ike the edge, you know? And yeah, you know, I, I, should mention this, I should have mentioned this earlier, but Ike have got two very good wingers in Grusko, who's a Hungarian, and uh, Farage, uh, a Moroccan-French player, who's 23 years old, right winger. Very good, very tricky, gangly, but very tricky. And they've got a striker called Olatunji, Nigerian, 22 years old. He's kind of like, you know, I hate to do the stereotype, tall, black, burly guy, drogba, but he's got that physical presence, but he's rapid as well. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's, that's um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, well, we'll be looking forward to that game. We'll be keeping an eye on it for sure. And 
good luck with Amonia uh, versus Ghent. Oh, now we've it, got mate. we've got no mm. more we've got no more loyalties to Ghent now. There's no Ukrainians left after <laughs> a trio, so all supports to go into Amonia. Right. So before we wrap up uh, and move on to sort of the next segment of the pod, uh, want to give a shout out to you some of your socials, Stell, and where can people find you if they want to listen to you No know, Trofters, uh, Shoot the Defense, and everything else. Excellent. So um, No Trofters is under the Shoot the Defence umbrella. So if you follow Shoot the Defence on Twitter, which is at Shoot the Defence, all one word, uh, iTunes, uh, what else you've got? Podbean, you've got Spotify, you name it, all the, the audios you can listen to Shoot the Defence. We've got many shows on that. We've got a Dinamo Kiev show. We've got an Olympia Goz podcast. We've got the DD Footy Factory. We've got Low Limit Football with Roberto Rojas on. We've got so many shows under this umbrella. and um, But hey, look, it's, it's been great talking to you. It's been a pleasure working with you as well, man. And just like to say, congratulations for everything that you and everyone else has achieved with this pod. You guys have, I'll tell you what, for, for, the, for the resources that you've had, you know, working with, you know, little sponsorship, little anything really, just working with the bare bones to where you are now is incredible, absolutely incredible. And I'll tell you what, in three or four years' time, you'll probably have your own setup with all that kind of stuff and you'll be one of them big YouTubers. I'm telling you, trust me. Thanks a lot, Stel. And um, really appreciated it. And what what a great introduction for you to come onto the pod. Uh, now we've been on each other's and fingers crossed for plenty more appearances. Uh, thanks a lot and good luck. Big news, of course, domestically over the last week. The UPL fixtures have finally been announced. Hooray, hooray. Uh, less than a week's time, uh, we will see the first games taking place. I mean, it's so great to see this occurring. How the games will be played, still unclear. Kickoff times and the like haven't been announced. But all the action will be seen through Satanta Sports following an agreement of the, the TV deal, which was announced earlier on our recording day. So, you know, when we're recording. Guys, great news, yeah? Right, excited for it as much as I am? Well, you can say that in the history of UPL, the nonsense, absurd uh, organization, uh, 15 years old by now, uh, it's the first time when they have all the clubs uh, in one TV spot with Citanta Sports, right? So they're going to show some some matches uh, online, some matches in the um, in the re recording. So I don't know how to say it correctly, but I just I, I'm not used to it, you know. And now we have Citanta Sports, which is going to show some matches online and some not. Uh, still, it's uh, it's a mystery how the um, former uh, big clubs who didn't want to uh, be under Citanta agreed to that and how it is going to happen. But we pretty much can't understand that the clubs can still have their own show on their road. And Citanta is going to run their basics, like 12 uh, millions or billions, or what is that? I'm not sure. But uh, uh, some, some money will be paid. And uh, as some uh, profound uh, people of Ukrainian football have already said, that's a huge compliment to the Ukrainian league. I mean, no one would ever be satisfied or tempted or seduced by the quality the teams might produce. And in that, in that day of age, that's a great deal. It'd be great to see it. Andrew, am I right? They have to have the highlights packages ready super quick and full games are going to be accessible straight away and the like. It's going to be great next week. Any ideas how we're going to see it structured or are you as up in the air as we are? <clears throat> what they've released so far is they're saying that there'll be a number of matches on Satanta cable TV, if you've got that. Then all of the matches on the match day will be available live uh, on the Satanta streaming service. And then everything else, uh, there'll be two matches on YouTube per match day as well. Uh, so I guess that will be free to air. And all highlights will be available <clears throat> within six hours, as in highlights that the clubs will be able to use on their own social media channels 
to share out to other people and full matches should be available to re-watch I guess 15 minutes after the the final whistle so you can do that from that perspective the thing about it is that currently whilst we're recording we're not entirely sure what the reaction is going to be from those clubs that rejected the initial deal there's been hints from the likes of the Ruk owner who's been doing sort of a few cryptic comments on Instagram on certain posts relating to it. Um, he rejected it initially. Dynamo Kiev, Zoria, uh, Dnipro One, who are in sort of the same uh, grouping together, all of their owners and all that kind of stuff. They also rejected it. They wanted some other you know, possible um, options and they were concerned that people abroad wouldn't be able to access it. Uh, their home matches and all that kind of stuff, even though it would cause a problem with their away matches uh, because they don't have the rights to those. Obviously, it's the <clears throat> the rights of Ukrainian football clubs uh, in the UPL anyway. They own all the rights to their own home matches. So what would have happened if Dynamo, I guess, got their way or what they wanted was that if everyone can have their own sort of home matches, then that's not going to help anyone abroad to watch things because then there's going to be a different million other different channels that the other teams are going to be connected to, you know, the likes of Vorska, like Espresso TV, uh, Magogo might have taken the likes of Shakhtar. Um, so everyone would have had to subscribe to certain things or watch on YouTube or anywhere else. And that would have caused a problem anyway. What I'm still waiting for, and I think a lot of people, obviously in the diaspora and maybe people that are a bit more interested in Ukrainian football due to the past few months of everything that's going on, there's no real understanding as how they'll be able to watch it. Will they have access to pay for this package? Uh, I've seen a few tweets from people saying, listen, I don't care about paying 109 hryvnia, which is, I don't know, like three euros or something like that. I'll pay uh, five, five euros, 10 euros just for the Ukrainian football uh package per month because you know for most people abroad that's not that much money however apparently there's been some already some sociograph um studies uh, about this today i saw sport arena sharing it they said like only 22 percent of people are ready to pay for ukrainian premier league football to watch it so i mean not the best start and i know that ukrainian football there isn't this culture to pay to watch football on the whole. Obviously, people will pay to watch Magogo. And um, in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty inexpensive, like 109 hryvnia or whatever. is like, what, three cups of coffee. I know, obviously, some people might be in poverty and some people might be having difficult times. But, you know, I think a lot of people have got those subscriptions anyway. And a lot of people are happy that finally they don't need to fork out a million different subscriptions to watch um, mm -hmm. just UPL football. So they'll be able to listen, get Satanta, and in the Satanta package, in Ukraine anyway, they'll be able to watch the UPL, they'll be able to watch the Premier League, the English Premier League, and loads of other good stuff that's going to be involved in their package. So, um, And at a much lower cost than you get, say, for example, in the UK, where it's a, a good 30 euros minimum to watch just some of the <laughs> EPL matches uh, in comparison. So... Uh, time will tell, of course, and that's it's another thing that I think we're not going to find out until relatively last minute. Well, who's going to be shown, how it's going to be shown, what time kickoff is. Um, is there going to be a delay whilst you're watching it for safety concerns and all this other kind of stuff? So um, I'm sure we can review this in a bit more detail uh, after, I guess, the first couple match days and how Satanta is keeping up, because I know a lot of people had a lot of complaints about footballs in the past, about lag and um, lots of buffering and stuff like that on old TV and all, all that kind of stuff. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but it should streamline uh, the opportunity for Ukrainian football to maybe progress slightly from a marketing perspective. Yeah, just to add to that, Andrew, uh, yeah, the footballs were a complete nightmare. I mean, in terms of broadcasting Ukrainian football, that was 10 years of complete disaster. So now every other thing than that is an improvement. So looking forward to that. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Hey, uh, P, 
PFL time. It's, that's starting to take shape as well. I mean, and what's the what's the situation with the PFL? I've seen final lists now being published for the Persia and the Druha. The return of the the seconds as well in the Druha. How's how's it all sort of shaping up? Any idea when the league's going to begin? Yeah, so the league's going to begin on the weekend of match day two of the UPL. So the 27th, 28th of August is apparently match day one. Uh, that's when the Padshalika is definitely going to be there. And I think even the Drukhalika has yet to release fixtures, as far as I'm aware. Um, but it looks to be a completely different set up to what we saw last year i think there's 24 25 teams that have withdrawn from the league um in persia we've got two groups of eight a lot of the teams that we know quite well from the druhalika have been promoted you could say unofficially but they've been promoted and filled up the gaps of a lot of teams that have withdrawn so we're going to be seeing the likes of you know bukovina um, Dinaz, Epicenter, who have renamed from Epicenter Dunayevci to Epicenter uh, Kamenets Podilski. Um, they'll be playing near the, the famous castle. Got Karpate on their way back. Never Ternopil, Polisa Zhitomir, Prekarpatia, and the sort of controversial one, uh, FSC Mariupol, who is renamed after Yarud. They've come up. Um, I was speaking to some people from FC Mariupol. They're not too happy with them renaming themselves that because it's sort of trying to take on that club's identity in a way that they're representing Mariupol by it's like not the UPL club. Uh, there's also been controversy around their logo, which is sort of like a ripoff of FC Ural from uh, the Katsaps. And it's sort of a very poorly done. There's been a bit of complaints, but they've replied with, hey, listen, we're not dealing with that. We're just going to be doing whatever we want. So that's sort of a, a bad start from that perspective. And even one of their kits are actually orange. So, you know, the fact that one of their kits is orange um, in copying essentially Mariupol, it, I think it's going to be, that'll be interesting. But that's sort of like the Western Ukrainian uh segment mm. the western ukrainian split of the persia then in the more central eastern you could say you've got hirnik sport that we know well kremen kremenchuk are back even though they were getting relegated playing poor praying quite poorly lnz are going to be challenging for the league they've signed about a million players this summer from a whole heap of different upl sides and across across the lower divisions metalur zaporizhia Returning Obolon, obviously, um, Ray's going to be enjoying that one. SK Poltava um, will be involved there. Skoruk, named after their owner, and FC Chernihiv, the Ukrainian athletic Bilbao. So lots of new names for certain people that may not be too familiar with the lower leagues. But other than uh, FSK Mariupol, technically aren't really a new side there's no one necessarily brand new in there they've just a lot of them have been promoted from um the Druhaliha. whereas in <coughs> the Druhaliha, uh i think they've got about half of the league left and most of the sides are brand new there's been about three or four survivors you could say that are continuing the rest are uh, some reserve sides of some of these teams that were in Persia. So Kremen 2, Metalurg 2, Polisia 2. We've got the return of the reserve teams, which were essentially banned in recent years because they were counterproductive. But I guess the fact that there is completely no, they need to fill up the league somehow. Um, mm -hmm. I think this is how it's going to go. And obviously there's not going to be, there's going to be less potential for reserve leagues elsewhere to play their football and all that kind of stuff. But there are a number of new teams. So we've got Vast, who I think are from uh, Mikolaev. You've got Vzyachen from Novhorod Volinsky in uh, Zhitomir slash yeah. Vinitsa. Um, 
uh, Niva Buzova, who our good friend Phil Howden um, is a big fan of. They've been quite progressive in the amateurs and they look to be relatively comfortable in some of the friendlies. I've seen them play against UPL sides and some of the top leagues. So they'll be pushing for promotion. Never Vinitz, obviously, are, are still around. Rail Farmer, somehow, <laughs> even though they had quite poor results last season. But, you know, they're continuing. <laughs> Fair play to the Lichovida, um family over there, keeping that going. Rubicon Kiev are still around. Obviously, the old remnants of Olympic Donetsk. And Hust City from Hust, who uh, are in Zakarpatia. Who are, hoping, who are hoping to be a part of the city group, just like Melbourne City, New York City, Manchester <laughs> <Exactly>. City. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's going to be quite a difficult away trip for everyone else in the league <laughs> because Horst is literally uh, on the right on the other side compared to everyone else. And then uh, good old Chaika uh, from the outskirts of Kiev. And um, yeah, it'll be, an interesting, it'll be an interesting campaign once we get a bit more information regarding all of those leagues will obviously give that a bit more coverage. Uh, but for now, it will be interesting to see. Obviously, a, a lot of a cutback, but what do you think, Adam? Oh, can't wait to see the Druva going. Apparently, Hus City have never played in an amateur league as well. They've only participated in the amateur cup. So kind of bypassed all those rules we spoke about last year. But hey, as you say... Got to keep the keep the numbers up, and you know, with all these clubs taking a year out, all those boys who were playing football for them will be looking somewhere else to play. So, you know, these new clubs that are coming and the return of the seconds are going to give them opportunities to to carry on with their careers uh, during this this difficult season, this unusual season that we're going to have ahead. Outside of Ukraine, of course, seasons uh, have, have already gone away, got underway. Ray, going to turn to you first, dear. I mean, who's impressed you over the last few weeks for our boys outside of Ukraine? I mean, can anyone top Zinchenko's start at Arsenal? I hold my hand up, got that wrong. Got that wrong completely. He's he's wowing, wowing everybody. He was pretty good. I have to say I have him on my fantasy team as well as Mikolenko and Kilman. Well, Zinchenko is as good as we expected. I mean, it's, it's still early days. Um, I don't think that... I'm hoping that Unic is going to have more time at uh, FC Zurich, I believe, as well as um, our uh, other youngsters, which are still in Europe, uh, although some of them are coming back, but... Uh, we hope that um, anybody uh, like likes of Kravets, who is, who has found another club in Turkey, is uh, going to catch our eye. Uh, so yeah, uh, nothing to worry about there. I mean, it's if we talk about the foreigners, uh, the Ukrainian foreigners, we only have to mention them in terms of the um, national team uh, games in September. But there are some big news about. Lenovsky, as I hear from Andrew recently, and I think I should over turn over to him for that. Definitely. But before we get on to Malinovsky, I don't know if Andrew knows what on earth's gone wrong with Everton, because it seems like we were hoping Mikolenko wouldn't be having a relegation battle this year, but these first few games, lots of bad reports coming out of England about Everton again this year. Yeah, it's not going to be straightforward at all. Uh, they look pretty poor going forward in terms of lack of any threat defensively they're not too bad but <clears throat> they just you know you cannot you can only play so well uh with a with a back four against certain sides they weren't the best against Aston Villa conceded two goals um and then only sort of came back to life towards the final 10 minutes you know you could even draw parallels with Dynamo Kiev at the moment albeit the fact that Dynamo Kiev have got much better quality compared to the rest of the league on paper. It doesn't affect them so much compared to uh, uh, Everton, where the fact that, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is injured, it's causing a lot of goals to be missed. However, uh, this week, uh, Victor Vatsko has rumoured that 
uh, Everton were one of the teams scouting Viktor Tsahankov uh, during the Champions League matches. Um, currently, he he was joined by apparently by scouts for Brentford and West Ham as well. Who knows if that's going to come to any fruition or anything like that? But we know West Ham have got Jared Bowen. Um, Brentford, he might get into the first team there straight away. Who knows? I saw a few Brentford fans you know, warming to that idea. We've also heard about, you know, Leicester in recent times could do with him, but that doesn't seem to be too hot from that perspective. <clears throat> and Everton, they're currently have got Anthony Gordon, who's been linked with a move to Chelsea and he plays, you know, predominantly outright um, and, you know, sometimes in the middle. So could potentially go there, but on the whole, I don't know whether he'd have, so much of an impact with how we've been seeing him play in recent years to, you know, drastically change the fortunes that that's going on there. Uh, so, you know, it, it's going to be a long, hard slog of a season for Nicole and Co. But hopefully he can just carry on playing as well as he can and pray that there are three worse sides uh, than Everton <laughs> to, to continue. And I mean, just returning to Ray's point about Malinowski, <clears throat> another team in the past week that was linked with him apparently uh nottingham forest were apparently after him or one of the teams that are after him according to fabrizio romano but it's almost guaranteed that malinovsky's leaving atalanta currently unclear exactly why he's being pushed out maybe because he's 29 last year of his contract i know that they were very comfortable with the family of malinovsky's in bergamo but Maybe Atalanta don't want to pursue it going forward. He's 29. They can maybe make a bit of money out of him. Uh, they're looking to be buying a few younger players, trying to get some of that old guard out like they have done this uh, summer. So Freuler, his teammates, just moved to Nottingham Forest. It's unlikely that he will go to Nottingham Forest. I don't see that happening with the amount of signings that Nottingham Forest have already made. And I with... stop at 16 signings. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, whether that would really match the ambition that Malinowski wants in terms of playing European football and challenging probably for a title. I think it'll probably be a bit more likely that he's going to join someone along the lines of Tottenham. Um, you know, that would probably be a place that who are apparently looking for a centre attacking midfielder at the moment. Uh, Conte obviously probably knows him from Serie A when he was at Inter. I think he was even linked with Inter whilst Conte was there. So that would be quite interesting. Um, and on top of that, you know, we've got the likes of Zabarni, who is still being monitored by Tottenham and by a number of other Premier League clubs, apparently, uh, according to Victor Vatskov. So we'll continue to see where this is all going. Uh, still two weeks to go in the transfer window. <laughs> We might see some cool transfers coming out. As, as we always know, Ukrainians like to, to leave things a bit last minute in terms of transfer activity. So maybe we might see some cool things. But yeah, Malinovsky will be somewhere soon. There's also the rumours they might move to like Liga. Uh, Monaco being rumoured because the ex-Genk manager is there. Maybe PSG are after him. Who knows? But the, the grand scheme of things, I think his main goal would be uh, the Premier League. But either way, we should know by the time of our next recording uh, of our next, you know, roundup episode or something like that, where exactly he ends up, hopefully. And fingers crossed, it's a good club. Exciting times, really. <laughs> Got to say, you know, when we started this podcast, did you think we'd be talking about all these players potentially moving to England? We hadn't even heard of uh, Zabani back then, but hey, -ho. right. How many do you see moving to England before... The window slams shut in two weeks' time. Well, knowing the uh, previous experience of Ukrainian footballers, none. I'm going to go with one. I'm going to I'm going to say Malinovsky's going. I see Stigankov staying with Dynamo. Oh wait, I thought you were asking about the Ukrainian league players moving uh, Ukrainians. abroad. Oh, Ukrainians in general. Well, okay, yeah, Malinovsky's definitely moving. Yeah, one. One, one. Andrew, you with us on that? Yeah, probably. I could see someone out of that Ukrainian uh, Premier League Dynamo side, especially with the fact that if they avoid um, Champions League qualification, they might be a bit more susceptible to getting a, I guess, 
exit. Uh, Zabadni could move. I know he is being touted across the league and there has been interest prolonged throughout. Just will anyone be able to match whatever valuation Sudkis wants for him? I think the uh, working of uh, Soundkov's agency, you know, SEG, the new one that he's been with, are probably working very hard to get him a move, especially with him being the last um, year of his contract at Dynamo. He's most certainly not going to be signing another one there. So he will either move this summer or leave as a free agent um, next. next. So, and I'm sure Dynamo Kiev will want to, you know, pounce on that and get a bit of funding at the very minimum. We can only hope, we really, really can. But as you mentioned there, I think the sort of the juxtaposition is what EPL clubs are willing to pay for UPL players and what UPL owners want for UPL players. And they, it's very rare that the two, the two stars align. But that's it for today, everyone. I've, I've enjoyed listening to the guys, as I always do. I hope you've all been enjoying it at home. Andrew, been a great episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the UPL's restarting very soon, so keep an eye out, guys. Fingers crossed that everything goes smoothly. Ray, I hope you've been enjoying it as well. I'll be the judge of anything going wrong or right in terms of creating football on ground, but yeah, it's hard to predict anything, but I'm definitely looking forward to it, and I'm much more looking forward to PFL as usual because that's where the fashion is. As always, as always. Uh, keep an eye out. I know we've been putting out pods every few weeks recently, but we'll have a preview pod coming out before the UPL starts in the middle of next week. So do keep an eye out for that on all the platforms. But till then, everyone, take care, stay safe at home, and goodbye for now. Bye-bye. Yeah.